Canishoopas.com. It's the JM to DM show with John Meyer and Dane Moore. All right, welcome back. This is episode nine of the JM to DM show. I'm John Meyer, and I'm here with my co-host Dane Moore, as always. We also have our producer Patrick Sharkey, and today a very special guest. We have Brad Rowland from Peachtree Hoops. That's the SB Nation Atlanta Hawks blog. He's a credentialed media member covering the Atlanta Hawks all season. He does the Locked on Hawks podcast, a really good Hawks podcast. If you want to know anything about them, definitely check that out. And he also writes for Uprocks. So, Brad, we're very excited to have you on the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I appreciate you guys having me. I always ready to talk some ball, uh, even in August, even though it's sort of a dead period. It's not, it's not quite as dead this year as it usually is in August, which is nice for people like us. It's like to like talk about the NBA, so it should be fun. I know. We kind of are just getting hit with these little bursts here, like once every like six days of Twitter just kind of freaks out, and, uh, and then it goes away. But it's, it's been amazing how long this news cycle has rolled. It's, it's crazy. It really is like, and somebody I do some national NBA stuff. So the Kyrie Irving trade has really kind of uh, buoyed my entire month of August. Just from there's always something going on, even if it's just like a little offshoot of the same story. It's uh, keeping everybody busy for sure. Totally. Well, um, Brad, we're not going to try to take too much too much of your time, and we really uh, wanted to have you on today. Um, you cover the Atlanta Hawks, and um, of course, Jeff Teague was not on the Atlanta Hawks last year. He was on the Indiana Pacers, but he spent seven seasons uh, before that in Atlanta, and you were up close and personal with Jeff Teague. You saw him raised from a young lad, and we just want to get your take on who he is. I think uh, Minnesota fans, that is, that's the player we're, we're trying to get to know better. Everyone knows Jimmy Butler. We seem to know a little bit about Taj Gibson, but uh, Jeff Teague um, steps into a tough spot as Ricky Rubio's replacement, a fan favorite. Uh, Brad, as you said, you cover the NBA uh, as a whole, so you're also familiar with Ricky Rubio. We also know you're kind of a fan of Rubio. Um, so you know what's up a little bit. How would you compare and contrast the games of Ricky Rubio and Jeff Teague? Yeah, they're, they're very different players. Uh, I like both guys. I always kind of have liked both guys, but extremely different. And, you know, Rubio's that, I, 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 I know you guys know, uh, he's more the, the classic facilitator type, bigger guy, defensive-minded as well. Uh, always been an underrated defender, in my opinion. Teague uh, is definitely more of a guy who, uh, I won't say he's score first, but is uh, definitely more of a scorer than Rubio, but a little bit better shooter, not quite the passer or the defender. So they're very different skill sets. I think they're sort of, uh, similar in terms of like overall effectiveness. I've always kind of had them in that same tier among point guards or at least close to it. So it's not like this going to be this giant drop off. It's just sort of fitting in the pieces of what they do well. Um, that's going to be something that I know you guys are talking about a lot with Minnesota. And that's just sort of the, the change there that's going to be happening because they are very, very different players despite being sort of overall effectiveness uh, sort of in the same tier. Absolutely. So I, I think as a more casual Atlanta Hawks fan, we, we know – we know Jeff Teague that he made the All-Star team in, in 2015, and that was kind of peak Atlanta Hawks. They uh, won the East, and he made the All-Star team along with three other Hawks. Is it right to say Jeff Teague was the third best player on that team, or was he the fourth? Where, where does Jeff Teague fall on that team? Yeah, he would have been the third best player. You know, Paul Millsap and Al Horford were pretty clearly one and two in some order. But Jeff was uh, tremendous during that season. There was that whole run where, I mean, I, was, I would probably argue that was his best year. He almost was, uh, in some ways, better the following season in terms of as a shooter. But that, that terms of, uh, like, 
beautiful game passing and the way that that offense operated. He was a big part of that and uh, sort of showed his development and as a guy who really needed the ball in his hands early on in his career to, to somebody who really didn't need it necessarily as much and on that team. That was a team that was definitely as, as, as unselfish as, as you'll ever see an NBA team be. So, uh, yeah, he played very well on that team, was deserving of the all-star berth, wasn't exactly like a no-doubt all-star. He was the guy who I would say, along with Kyle Corr, those, those two guys were on the fringe of the all-star team that year. They, they, they made it deservedly and, uh, you know, just never been before or since, but he's kind of in that next tier down and there's nothing wrong with that. He's definitely played well then and has played well since then in different ways. It kind of all depends on how he's going to shoot the ball more than likely, which we can talk about. Um, but, um, it's a, it's a varied skill set and a guy who doesn't really take anything off the table in a huge way, which is always nice. Teague very much to me seems like a guy that he's like a B minus or a B in every area. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, especially, you know, the, the big question, um, especially early on in his career, was his defense. And I think last year he sort of took a step back in a little bit of a way uh, with his defense in Indiana. Um, you know, how, how much of that is system is kind of up to be uh, debated. But, you know, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he, he gets pretty good effort there. By the time, you know, his last two or three years in Atlanta, I thought he was about an average defender, which for his size is pretty impressive. Uh, never been, never, never going to be a dominant player on the end of the floor. He does have some weaknesses if you can get him uh, against a guy who's bigger than he is and kind of get physically sort of knocked off his spot but he's, he's he's still very very quick a smart defender usually in the right place he'll have some moments where he kind of uh, loses uh his focus and sort of tunes out but that sort of uh, sort of dwindled as he got older and i think that's kind of almost fully gone away at this point now that he's uh, almost 30 years old so yeah i think it's pretty safe to say you know offensively again nothing spectacular except for the fact that he's very quick he's good off the dribble he's become a solid shooter not nothing spectacular so yeah sort of everything i say is sort of the same uh bb minus range but that's kind of the player of the year the player that he is and that's that actually ends up working out pretty darn well most of the time because if you can uh, find a player that doesn't really have that huge weakness it's always a good thing when he was in his b plus a minus days uh, a couple years ago he was complimenting uh paul Millsap and al horford as you said and i guess my question to you is how do you see him compliment carl anthony towns as jimmy butler and jimmy butler in minnesota uh, the timberwolves one and two players yeah, it's going to be interesting uh, if only because, uh, you know, Teague, I won't say he needs the ball, but he's definitely a guy who uh, probably is better with the ball than without it. Although he has improved as a shooter, which is going to be helpful because, as you guys well know, that's one of the big questions with the Wolves is not not having a ton of shooting. Uh, they have some shooting, but a lot of guys who kind of need the ball are ball dominant. Teague's not ball dominant. He's used to being in a system, at least in his Atlanta days, where Guys were pretty much uh, not necessarily caring about who got the who, about who got shots and who got uh, all the usage, but uh, it was more of like a you know egalitarian sort of system that where everybody kind of you know you find the open man, the open man shoots kind of thing. In, in Minnesota, it'll be a little bit different because it'll be I think a little bit more ISO ball than it was in those Atlanta days because you know Towns and Butler are just better offensive players, more dominant offensive players than Millsap and Horford were. But he's proven that he can play off the ball and not necessarily have to have the ball in his hands. So the big question for me is going to be if he can shoot the ball as well as he has the last two years you know two years ago his last year in Atlanta he shot 40 percent from three he's not that guy but I think last year you know shooting 36 percent from three in Indiana that's probably about what you can expect if he can just do that and be a reasonable floor spacer and kind of be able to be a threat off the ball that'll really help but he's he's definitely willing to not have the ball in his hands and not dominate the ball like that absolutely and that's that's something he's probably gonna have to get used to in his new role in Minneapolis I think one thing that uh Wolves Nation or Wolvesdom or whatever you want to column at large is very worried about right now is shooting in general uh they don't have a lot of 
you know, elite floor spacers, but they do have Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler, two elite level offensive players. They have Wiggins who can get buckets. His efficiency is, you know, it's not exactly what you want it to be. But do you, from an outsider's perspective, do you worry at all about the Timberwolves shooting? I mean, when you look at them, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, a little bit, only because, you know, they have not, it's not that these guys can't shoot at all, but if they, they play those, those four players with, for instance, Todd Gibson as the fifth guy, there's not a ton of spacing on the, on the court. Not that there's any bad shooters aside from, I guess, Gibson's not a great, you know, three point shooter, but they're just not that knockdown guy either. You know, Butler is the reasonable shooter. Wiggins is a sort of reasonable shooter and Teague is, and obviously Towns is an above average shooter for a center. There's no question about that, but they don't really have that knockdown guy that you, that you would associate with a, you know, high level NBA offense. What they're going to try to do is, uh, you know, it's it, it definitely can work when you have as many guys as they do that can create their own shot. You know, if you if you throw Teague in there, I think he's probably the fourth option immediately when you talk about Wiggins, Butler, and Towns. But if he's your fourth option offensively, he can go he can go get his own offense too. He kind of has always been able to do that. So they're going to go with a, a more sort of old school approach, I think, offensively, and not have this be uh, the beautiful game, you know, Warriors, uh, you know, 2015 Hawks kind of style. It's going to be more of a one on one based offense I would imagine and not having a ton of shooting is going to make that a little bit more difficult but they do have the talent where it almost doesn't matter so I don't know it's really it's a big question it sounds like one one you guys have as well I think the whole NBA is going to be asking it's just how well it's going to work offensively but there's almost too much talent to have it fail because they're it's not like they have it's not like they have non-shooters if they had a couple of absolute non-shooters I'd be a little bit more worried but you know if you have four guys on the court who uh, are at least capable of shooting and, com- and com- 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 sort of command that attention off the ball. That's also h- helpful enough to where there'll be enough spacing. I think that's my big hope for Andrew Wiggins is because as you said, he's not a non-shooter. Uh, I don't, he's certainly not put in the elite shooter category, but there seems to theoretically be a lot of room for him to quote unquote spot up around the ball and get open three point looks. I think many of us would bet he, uh, shoots a higher percentage um, from three this season. Uh, so when I was going and looking back, not that I'm really just pounding this 2015 Hawks team uh, into the <laughs> ground, but you obviously have Kyle Korver as the fourth piece on that team. And Kyle Korver shot 49.2% from three that year, which is just an unheard of statistic. And I guess my my question is, is do you, do you see that more so being a product of Jeff Teague or is that a different way in which they uh, utilize Kyle Korver uh, to get him open. Yeah, I think, you know, it has probably more to do in that particular team with having a bunch of guys who were high-end passers. Like, it's not that Teague wasn't a good passer. Uh, and, like, even last year, I think he had his career high in assists per game, almost eight a game in Indiana. It wasn't like that was a high-end offense. But uh, back in Atlanta, it was more a product of everybody on the court was a willing passer. And I think, especially with Horford and Millsap being your bigs and kind of being uh, these I don't want to say freakish guys because they're not like that necessarily offensively, but just really unselfish, great passing big men who didn't need the ball to uh, be, you know, effective, you know, and, you know, obviously you're playing with a different sort of talent in my opinion right now with, with Towns and Towns and Butler, those guys are uh, more singularly dominant and, and, and than anybody teams ever really played with even, even Paul George last year, I'm, I'm of the mind where Towns and George are probably both better, sorry, Towns and Butler are probably both better offensive players than George is. So this will be the best uh, sort of collection of talent he's ever played with. And I think that's going to kind of allow Jeff to not necessarily worry and kind of take what the offense gives him, which is a good thing. You know, I'm not going to tell you that he's this great creator and that's going to facilitate in the way that Rubio did and the way, you know, 
passing guys open and being this incredibly high level thinker on the court. But he see, he sees the, he sees the floor well. He's a good passer. He's a willing passer, and that'll be a little bit of a of a dip from the way that you, the Rubio played. But also, you know, having Rubio on this team now with the lack of shooting would almost be uh, way worse for him because that would sort of be the worst possible scenario for Rubio in that he needs the ball to be effective. And on this team, you're just probably not going to have the ball as much. So you, you need a guy who's probably a better shooter. Again, I'm not even so sure that Teague is a better player than Rubio, but he's, he's I think he's a better fit on this roster because he can shoot the ball. Um, he's not he's not going to be uh, left alone, and if he is left alone, he's going to be able to make defenses pay, and that's something they did, that they absolutely needed given the way that they construct the rest of the roster. So I know we kind of touched on his defense a little bit, and it sounds like you're a little bit more, I guess, optimistic than some people that I've heard talk about his defense. But I'd like to just get more kind of – defense is so hard to judge because – you know, you don't, a lot of people, the casual viewer doesn't just sit there and watch the individual man. And it's hard to tell a lot of times, you know, who is to blame here. I know um, that happens with the Wolves all the time. It's like, you're like, ah, oh, Gorgie Jang. Well, he wasn't to blame, actually. Uh, it was Town's fault. But I, I'd just like to get your thoughts. I really don't understand Teague as a defender. And I, I would like to understand him more. I mean, what are, what, how do you feel about him as a defender? Is he going to be able to help the Wolves get from, I think they finished 28th in defensive rating. The, the jump needs to happen defensively. Jimmy Butler will help. Taj will help. But can Teague, in your opinion, you know, coexist in a, a top 15 team defense? Yeah, I think he absolutely can. I'm not going to tell you that he's this like individual, you know, super above average defender because he's not that. Um, but he doesn't kill you. He's always in the right spot. You know, the physical limitations are real with him. He's not he's not the biggest guy in the world. But he's not tiny either. It's not like he's Isaiah Thomas. He's a legit, you know, six two or so. He's he's sort of frail, but it's not like he can be a. Uh, super picked on in the way that some of these guys that are reliabilities can be, you know, that Hawks team, even not even the great Hawks team, even his last Hawks team two years ago was a top five defense in the league. And it wasn't like they had this incredible defensive talent. They had Paul Millsap and Al Horford who were very good defenders. And Millsap, I would argue is like a top 10 or 15 guy in the whole league, but he's not like this. He's not like he's Rudy. He's Rudy Gobert or something like that. The Hawks sort of always overachieved and he was a part of that defensively. And I'm not going to give him all the credit for that in the world, but he certainly can be a part of a good defense. I'm not, you know, the rest of the pieces are going to be interesting in the way they fit, they fit together. I think Butler could even play better defensively now that he doesn't have quite the offensive load that he had in Chicago, and he was always a good defender there as well. So they have some pieces. I don't think Teague's going to be the, the the catalyst to taking them to a good defense, but he's not going to keep them from being a good defense either, which I think is sort of one of the knocks on him. I thought he became uh, really underrated as a defender by the time he left Atlanta. I will tell you in what I saw uh, last year, I did not I did not watch all 82 games of the Pacers. Uh, I, I will hop to that, but from what I saw, it was a little bit worse than it was in Atlanta defensively, but I think that was probably uh, so you know some some of that scheme, some of that fit, and the way that Indiana approached things versus the way Atlanta approached things. I think I think Tiz will get the most out of Teague defensively, and I know there was a, a lot of questions last year about the defense and it's sort of not translating in Minnesota. But Teague can certainly play his part, and that's kind of all all he'll need to do when you're surrounded by guys that have the physical gifts of the guys he's playing with, though. So my question is, who is going to guard? opposing point cards this year. I mean, it's, it's either Jeff Teague who sounds like it's better than, than, you know, what at least I expected um, or, or Tyus Jones who, you know, might be a decent, you know, team defense guy, but definitely is, is, is on the smaller end and, and can't guard Russell Westbrook or anyway. I mean, is, is Wiggins going to kind of have to step into that role? Uh, Butler, I guess I'm not really sure. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I don't think you want, necessarily matching up for four quarters with a guy like Westbrook or John Wall who are just bigger and faster than he is but he can he can and has played those guys at least in the you know maybe maybe some first half 
playoffs. I don't think he's going to be guarding the, the team's best player, but if it's a dominant point guard in the fourth quarter, or at least in, the, in crunch time, you'll see, I, I, I would imagine you, you probably see Butler more than anything on this guy. That's a, that's a guess on my part. But um, again, what I was saying before, and Butler being able to sort of take it a little bit easier offensively than he has been in the last couple of years uh, before that, he was sort of a defense first player. So hold, hold his own in those uh, matchups, especially, Especially in the in the majority of the game, when it gets to crunch time, I doubt you're going to see him matched up one on one with Westbrook or Harden or one of these guys. Um, I guess Harden's more of a shooting guard now that he's playing with Chris Paul, but you know what I mean. It's those those, those like six four point guards who are big, physically dominant, and have the ball in their hands all the time. I doubt that Jeff's going to get that uh, that that assignment in the fourth quarter. But you know, in the second quarter of a regular season game, he can certainly hold his own against those guys. Even if it's not going to be great, because you know most of the time, uh, whoever's guarding Russell Westbrook's going to kind of get, get, get abused a little bit and he is going to have some spots where matchup wise is not going to be great fatigue but he could certainly hold his own for the most part in the grand scheme you were talking before about Teague's size and as you know the wolves are in a a situation where we have almost no bench and this is obviously not an ideal situation but i'm wondering if you believe at all that jeff teague and tyus jones could coexist on the court at the same time for small chunks of time that happened last year a bit with uh, Tyus Jones alongside Kristan, who's obviously bigger and Rubio a bit, but could, could Teague be the bigger of a, of a two player backcourt just as Tyus is so small. I'm not sure that would be ideal. I'm sure they could probably steal some minutes with it at some point, especially I guess the second unit, you know, most second units are uh, more offense focused in general. So I think if you can sort of get, get away with some minutes there with those two guys, because they're competent, because both of those guys can shoot a little bit and they're smart players. That would be a reasonable thing to do. Defensively, you'd probably be in some trouble against if you're playing against a high-end player on the other end of the floor, especially if it's a if it's a wing type of player. But you know, there's a, it's not they're that small. I mean they're both they're both frail, but they're both what, six one, six two. It's not like you're playing a five nine guy out there, but it wouldn't be ideal. But I can, I can definitely see a situation where you're stealing some minutes against a second unit just because a lot of second units don't really have that kind of guy that's gonna be able to take advantage of it. Cool, cool. So I want to turn this conversation in a totally different direction right now. And I want to, this might be kind of hard to to talk about because we just don't know, but I'm trying to get a feel for Jeff Teague, like as a person off the court and just, just his personality, because I think that in a sense, the Timberwolves, they haven't made the playoffs for ever 13 years, but we've, we've been, we've had a lot of young players and we see their personalities kind of shine through social media and different avenues. But I think the one thing I've noticed with Jeff Teague is, you know, he's not active on Twitter. He's not really active on Instagram on all these different platforms in interviews. He kind of comes off as not to be rude or, but just a little bit bland, a little bit boring. Um, That's just my initial impression. Now I, I'm definitely open to change my opinion about him. Um, I just interested in kind of getting your opinion if you've been around him or you've spoken to him, just his personality and, and kind of the vibes you, you you got there. Yeah, first of all, I think Jeff's a good, a, 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 good, a good guy in general. I do think his social media presence is kind of funny. He was more active on Twitter a couple of years ago. Um, he's just very chill almost to his detriment off the court, I would say. And even on the court, sometimes he has this like sleep, this sleepy personality on the floor sometimes. And it's been misconstrued as a lack of focus at times as well, just because he's very, very level, uh, even off the court, you'll see him in the locker room after a win. And he's kind of happy. You can tell that, 
but he's also he's never been a, a huge fan of speaking to the media. It's not, not not that he won't do it, and he's not terribly rude um, to the media. But you can tell it's not his favorite thing to do in the world. He's not the most outgoing guy in that in that form. So people have sort of uh, read that wrong. I think I think Teague is a good guy. He likes to play video games. Like he likes wrestling. Uh, those are two things that I know he likes: uh, professional wrestling and video games. So. Uh, he's he's more of that kind of just laid back one of your friends that's uh, not the most outgoing guy in the world. But if you get him sort of a, in a in a one on one or a small group, he can be can be kind of funny. To, after a big win, I've seen him uh, kind of yuck it up yuck it up with some teammates in the locker room. He's he's capable of doing that. It's just uh, publicly, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of him um, being this uh, you know sort of gregarious figure just because that's not really the way that he is. He's more of that level headed guy, um, sort of straight across. Boring is probably appropriate, honestly, in terms of his uh, public persona. I do like him in the way that in the couple times I've spoken to him, just sort of off the record one-on-one and kind of just hung out a little bit in the locker room. On the record, he's not the most interesting quote in the world either. He'll tell you what he thinks, which is a good thing uh, at times, especially if you – he's actually probably better after a loss than after a win, if that makes sense. He's more uh, more apt to give you some more information uh, when he's frustrated than when he's actually in a good in a good positive place. But I've always liked Jeff. He's just sort of that guy who's not going to give you a ton of insight into what he's thinking. That sounds a lot like Andrew Wiggins. I was going to say the exact same thing. I, I didn't want to cut you off. Uh, but I was like, oh my God, check, check, check. That sounds so <laughs> familiar. Andrew just found his, Andrew's guy has a new best friend. <laughs> oh, that's good. Actually, I actually have a funny story about Teague if you have a minute for me to tell yes, it. That's uh, and when Joe Johnson got traded uh, in the big trade, when he, he signed a huge contract in the, with the Hawks and was traded to the Brooklyn Nets, uh, it was kind of a surprising deal because the Hawks uh, were on the hook for that massive salary. Um, Je- Jeff was living with Joe at the time. Uh, and uh, the, the story as it goes, and Robbie Callan is the one who tells the story the best from uh, Up Rocks and used to be at, uh, at CBS Sports, a good friend of mine but uh, basically Joe and Joe and Jeff exchanged uh, pleasantries from like by text message about the trade like they were like 100 feet away from each other and they didn't bother to get up they were just texting back and forth with each other um and that's kind of a perfect thing for jeff because he it's they're both same thing with joe johnson he's a very level-headed sort of uh, almost boring guy in the same way that teague was but those guys were friends and that kind of tells you a lot about what you're saying that was sort of reminded about that when you said that about, about wiggins because it's sort of the same thing people always say about joe johnson it's not he's not the most exciting guy in the world and teague sort of fits that bill well that's you know that's good and enticing to hear i think some people are, uh, myself included, often are are tough on Wiggins and question how how good can a player be with that sort of mentality. And those are two great examples. I mean, Jeff Teague, an all star, and I mean Joe Johnson was borderline star star. Uh, you know, a, a few years back, there are there are different types of personalities that um, can lead to success. So that. That's good there. That'd be interesting to see how that kind of dynamic between the two of them goes. Maybe they'll text each other from a hundred feet away in, uh, <laughs> in the locker room. Um, I have one more like play style type question and uh, that's with the pick and roll. I think that's kind of uh, what uh, we think about with Jeff Teague and pretty safe assumption. That'll be a big part of, of what's happening in his utility in Minnesota. I think last year the, the Wolves have Ricky Rubio who was a good pick and roll player, but He's more of like a a pick and roll player that is moving towards the side. He's looking to pass. He's looking for the player off the pop. And they tried to use a different type of pick and roll player, ball handler, in Andrew Wiggins, who's more of an attack style um, player off the pick and roll. And Wiggins, that wasn't that wasn't a great fit. And the Wolves are kind of lacking that uh, attack player who can come off the pick and roll and get into that sixteen foot range and um, 
and distribute and shoot and create from all within that mid-range area where Rubio struggled so much. Um, am I on the right path here in assuming that will be a strength of um, of Jeff Teague's kind of that mid-range area off the pick and roll? Yeah, that's probably one of his better strengths, I would say, uh, honestly, because he, he's, a, he's a very good ball handler. He's not He's never been like this knocked out three point shooter, but he's he's always been a very effective and willing mid range shooter, especially if you're going to give him that shot. He's and he's and he's always good about getting sort of being crafty and sneaking around screens and using his speed and sort of those, those duck hunters that you get when you're a smaller player. So yeah, I think that's definitely one of his strengths is to be able to get in that range and knock down shots when necessary when when they're there for him and if they're going to be guarded, he can find the, he can find the open guy. Um, again, not, not going to be the, the same passer Rubio was, but he's a much much better shooter and a more aggressive finisher uh, than than Rubio is ever going to be as well offensively. And, you know, if, T- if Teague gets going, there was always the, the hashtag playoff Teague. If he gets going, he's the guy who can really sort of turn it up and uh, almost win you a quarter or win you a half if he has it going. Uh, on this team, it's, it's probably going to matter a little bit less because of all the other options, but he's definitely capable of doing that for you too. So that's that's definitely one of his strengths for sure. And do you think at the rim Teague, too? I like that. <laughs> do you think he'll be able to finish at the, the rim as well? I mean, that was such a that was such an issue for for Rubio. I guess I don't really remember that in my my headspace of Jeff T. Yeah, he's not he's not a fantastic finisher, but he's definitely an effective one. I think last year, last couple of years, he's like somewhere in the 56, 57 percent um, shooting range around the rim. Not this like dominant player around the rim, but he's uh, he's crafty. He's not going to explode athletically necessarily uh, above and beyond people, but he's quick and getting to where he wants to go. And he has some craft around the rim, can finish with both hands. Uh, is very good at these like sort of scoop shots, and uh, uh, he can sort of finish in traffic in a way that's almost a little bit surprising. I'm not going to say again. He's he's not a dominant finisher, but he's he's probably better than you would think for a player of his size and uh, just his general stature because he is so crafty. Cool. I'm looking forward to, you know, a, a point guard like Teague. I, I think, you know, I've said it on this podcast numerous times. I, I was not enthused with the move when it first happened. I Ricky Rubio is one of my favorite players, and I really wanted to see him play on a Timberwolves team that mattered. And, you know, it, it hurts me as a fan, but uh, if I look into the mirror and I assess the situation – um, you know, clearly, I think Teague really he does a lot of things that are that are going to help this this team, especially on offense. And I think that um, it's going to be fun to see him, you know, run that high pick and roll with Towns. That's something that Tibbs has talked about like seven different times since Jeff Teague has been signed. Just how excited he keeps saying Jeff Teague's one of the best high pick and roll players in the league. So just to think as Towns is the role, man. I mean, come on. That's that's enticing. So before we get into the Hawks, because, yes, the Jam to DM show loves the Timberwolves. We, we also love the NBA. And so we want to get your a few of your thoughts on the Hawks. Um, I just want to quickly just from an outsider's perspective. I mean, what what are you thinking for win total for the Wolves? Where do they stack in the West? Uh, ooh, I was going to say and the total numbers came out today, the West, the West Gate numbers uh Prior to that, I guess I'll still stick with it. I was going to say somewhere in the 49 to 50 range for Minnesota. I'm a believer um, when compared – I mean, I'm not over the moon. Like, I'm not talking about – I saw some people picking, like, mid-50s. I wouldn't go that far, although it's – that's conceivable to me. If things go well, like, that wouldn't blow me away if they won, if they won mid-50s. But I'm sort of in the in the 4 or 5 range in the West, and that's a very good basketball team and a huge stride from last year. I'm a believer in uh, – basically all these guys uh, not over the moon about the way that they fit together and some of the ways that uh, Tibbs has sort of uh, gone away from what people, uh, at least modern people want to want to do with spacing and not playing too bigs, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the, the talent is just almost so good that I see it working um, in somewhere in the neighborhood of 49, 50 wins. 
I think, yeah, let's, let's uh, touch on that and explain to the listeners because these numbers just came out uh, this afternoon and we'll be posting this in the morning. So the Westgate uh, Las Vegas Sportsbook posted um, the Timberwolves over-under win total at 48 and a half. And uh, John, I'm sure you're doing this as well. We're kind of, you know, looking on Twitter. Everyone's given their, um, given their opinion on it. And it was this, it was really the same thing last year is a lot of um, online uh, writers and, and people whose, whose opinion I respect who are more in the national sphere were you know, are, are picking the over for, for the Timberwolves. And I think if you, you, if you asked a, a lot of uh, people around the Timberwolves or Timberwolves fans, the, the under would have been, been the obvious answer. I think it's a little less so that way this year. Um, but it's just a lot of people are like, yeah, you know, I kind of see low fifties for the, for the wolves. And I'm, I'm willing to believe that we might just be so scarred as uh, from watching this team that, that we can't, uh, we can't muster the belief that a 51 team is possible, but I, what do you, what do you think there is to that? And John, you can probably touch on that too, is like, why, why is there so much more belief in the Timberwolves from a national perspective? They know the Timberwolves have been bad. Um, why is there more belief there that that I guess I personally have? I, I would I'm personally in the underboat, but I'm just kind of generally negative. Jimmy so. Butler. <laughs> yeah, but John, you would take under right. though too, right? Like if you're betting, I would take the under because I'm a very sad Timberwolves fan. <laughs> yeah, that, that might be that might be the issue for. They have not made the playoffs since I was 15 years old. I was actually trying to work on a post of everything that's happened since the Timberwolves last made the playoffs. Um, Brad, is this uh, is this attitude uh, familiar? I don't know how many Wolves fans you know, but uh, it's kind of uh, upset, uh, you know, downer vibe that we give off. Is that uh, sound pretty familiar? It does a little bit. I have an uncle that's a season ticket holder and those people up there. So a little bit, you know, listen, I'm, I'm known as the negative guy around the Hawks too. I always get a lot of grief for being uh, down on the team when compared to the national consensus. So I kind of know where you guys are coming from in general, from another, another fan base too. So I'm with you and listen, I actually thought the number when it came out at 48 and a half was a little bit higher than I thought it was going to be. I thought I was going to be somebody who was uh, higher than the consensus. And it seems like I'm basically the consensus right now with where I am. So I, I see where you're coming from. I think Butler coming over is a huge thing, and he's like a top 15 player in the league. And if you factor in that with what you would assume of a progression from guys like Towns and Wiggins, and I can see it. I mean, I, I can see it going wrong too. So if, if I wanted to do what you guys are doing, I could certainly talk myself into it. I just, uh, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big believer in uh, if you have two of the top, you know, 15, 20 guys in the league on your team uh, and, and have some strong supporting players too, that's usually a pretty good recipe to be pretty good. <laughs> yeah it's like you know when when nothing good happens to you for a long time you guess you're so scared of this this yeah. promising future and it's easy to say well it's easy to like envision this season when jimmy butler gets hurt for three weeks and then the playoffs go to hell i mean it's easy to envision that because it's happened time and again so um but yeah like i'm i'm known as a very optimistic person and so it's you know i think after years of following the team and covering the team it kind of um, it can shift your mindset, but I keep telling myself, I mean, this is the most promising Wolves team that I can remember, um, you know, since the Sam Cassell, Latrell Sprewell, Kevin Garnett trio. And it's just, this is just a really fun, exciting time in Minneapolis. And I, I don't want to let the fear take Wolves fans away from <laughs> the promise, you know, uh, to get into the Hawks real quick. I think, are they going to, are they going to just fall off a cliff this year? 
Uh, yes, in short, that is what's going to happen. They they know it. I mean, they won't they won't admit it that, that they're actually uh, they've really gone out of their way to avoid the term rebuilding. But every single move they've made this offseason is a, is a rebuilding move. Um, they want to be a little bit more respectable than I probably would have been with it. They went out and signed some guys like Dwayne Dedman and uh, even Arsene Lysova to try to be more respectable than I would have probably been. I would have leaned harder into the tank if I was the Hawks. But uh, they're going to be bad. There's no question about it. You know, their their over under number at Westgate was twenty five and a half. Um, which number. <laughs> yeah, it's, used to. yeah, it's, it's bad. I mean, it's the second lowest uh, only ahead of the bulls. So uh, yeah, that kind of tells you where, the, where they're going to be. I mean, they're going to be well coached. They, they, they might even be fun to watch, honestly, because they have a bunch of guys who I kind of like, and they have a bunch of unselfish pieces and the kind of, the pieces almost fit together better than they did last year when Dwight Howard around. And honestly, just not having Dwight Howard around is going to be a lot of fun for me. Um, it's going to be a bad basketball team. There's no way around that just kind of how bad they're going to be. I will say that was my favorite team to watch at Summer League. Um, with, I mean, Torian Prince and DeAndre Bembry really stuck out to me. And then um, also Collins uh, was, he kind of struggled in the first game, but then absolutely uh, torched Laurie Markkinen. Uh, were you at that game, Brad? I was, and that was, uh, it was ugly because Markkinen couldn't make a jumper and uh, Collins was dunking everything he saw. And yeah, it was, Collins was really fun in Summer League. One of the, it was one of the five funnest guys there. Funnest, that's not a word, I'm sure. Most fun <laughs> uh, guys there for sure. He dunks everything, and I've asked him about that. He wants to dunk everything. He takes pleasure in dunking on people, which I enjoy. So yeah, he's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and that Summer League team uh, also happened to have three of the top like six guys on the on the actual team, which is helpful. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was more fun than the rest of the season is going to be, I think. But it, it was it was enjoyable. I think Collins and uh, Justin Patton are going to kind of be labeled next to each other. Um, the Wolves took Patton at 16, and then uh, Collins went 19th. And so I, I think the, the Wolves didn't have much time to, or I didn't have much time to think about middle first round type of players. But as, as the trade happened, the Wolves got the 16th pick. Collins was kind of a guy uh, I had had my eye on. And as I felt like he more profiled as a power forward or Patton's more um, of a center. And so, so Patton went before Collins, I guess, what are kind of your thoughts about those two Collins are obvious. You're obviously excited about um, was there a guy in that range that you, you were hoping Atlanta was going to land? Um, but by the time it got to uh, the Hawks at uh, at 19, Collins was. Pro- I don't want to say he was definitely the best pick available. I like some guys on the board. I like Jared Allen. I like Harry Giles that were around. I like OG Ananobi. A couple of high- those guys are probably higher upside players um, for me because of their, of their defensive capability. But you know, I was really happy with the Collins pick. I thought it was a, a good value. The Hawks were really happy. They were sort of had their fingers crossed from like 14 on that he would follow them. So they were really happy about that pick. Um, I actually like Patton too. I wrote about that a lot before the draft is I, I actually knew the, the Hawks picking in that range where you guys didn't. Um, and I was, uh, you know, I kind of like Patton. He's a tantalizing guy, a high upside player. You know, his, I think his floor is kind of low, unfortunately. And that if it doesn't work, it probably isn't going to work. Um, but, and obviously the injury was not uh, well-timed in his first summer as a professional. So that's not ideal, but I, I always kind of liked Patton. Those guys will be probably linked for a while because there were what three picks in, uh, in between each other, sort of at the same position. I do agree though that Patton's more of a center whereas Collins is more of a power forward and uh, obviously the the opportunity won't be there for Patton in the way that it is for Collins because he's obviously playing behind some guys who are firmly entrenched so he'll be more of a developmental piece than uh, Collins will probably be on the court more this year but I like both players they're very different Collins is uh, more of the production sort of uh 
you know, high, high impact college player, whereas uh, Patton was more of the uh, project type. You can definitely see, see the skill set, the fact that he can be a guy who shoots on the perimeter, et cetera, et cetera. So I like both guys. We'll see who uh, proves to be the better player. Uh, they're just kind of very different, as much, as much different as they can be. Kind of a, sort of ties back into Rubio and Teague. It's like these guys are very, very different, even though they play the same position almost. All right. Uh, I have a three-part question. Yes, um, bring it. So part one is, what is the Hawks' uh, projected starting five? Part two is, who's your favorite player in Atlanta right now? And then part three is, I'm just curious if Dennis Schroeder is, is actually good. Ooh, part three is going to be interesting. Uh, my, my, <laughs> my projected starting five would be Dennis Schroeder, uh, Kent Bazemore, Torian Prince at the three with Ursula Leosova and Dwayne Dedman. Uh, there's no inside info there. The Hawks, uh, Mike Budenholzer is uh, never going to tell you about what he's going to do with the lineup, especially not in August. So uh, that's just me uh, putting things together responsibly. If what I've seen in the last couple of years, I don't have that uh, on firm authority or anything, but I would imagine that's going to be your starting five. There could be a piece or two different, but I'm pretty darn sure it's going to be uh, Schroeder, Bazemore and Prince. And the two, the two big men could change, I guess, but that, that, that makes the most sense to me. Um, Part two, my favorite player in Atlanta is probably, it's interesting. My favorite player is probably DeAndre Bembry, uh, although I agree. I'm fully aware that he may not be a thing. Like he might just be <laughs> like an okay rotation player, but I just love his game. I wanted the Hawks to draft him when they did. I've always been a huge fan. He's so smart. Uh, you know, talking to him off the court, he's just a, a really smart guy who plays the game the way that I like the game to be played. So I know. I'm not necessarily sold on him being this like long-term starter, but I just really enjoy him. Uh, and I, I also like Malcolm Delaney quite a bit. That's my, that's my number two answer. He was not great last year as a rookie, but uh, I really, really like his game too. And I think he's going to shoot the ball better this year without getting too deep into it. Cause it's not a Hawks podcast. Those are my <laughs> two favorite guys. It's very a hipster of me to take two bench players, but that's what I'm going to say <laughs> uh, for my two favorites. Uh, the last one is interesting, man. Dennis Schroeder is really polarizing um, locally. People really like him. Um, he obviously uh, averaged a lot of points and assists last year. I think it was 18 and six uh, in his first full time year as a starter. And that kind of gets people excited because you see a big number, especially scoring and he had a good playoffs. Um, I'm not all in on shooter at all. I think he's probably going to be like, um, at, at his very best, like the number 17 point guard in the league, which is fine. If he can just be that I, he's not even there yet for me. He's like somewhere in the 20 to 22 range for me right now, which is again, a fine player. Uh, he's the he's the best player on the team right now, for better or worse, which is not the greatest thing when the number 20 point guard in the league is your best player. It's probably not the greatest setup in the world, but uh, I don't think he's necessarily good now. I think he can be, and I think he's fine now. I don't think he's bad, but uh, he's got to get more efficient um, or, be, or be a better defender, one of the two, preferably both, but at least be one of those two to actually be like a firmly entrenched long-term piece for you. Uh, I'm not super, super sold on that, but if I say that locally, people get really upset. That, that's understandable. I mean, I, I can say stuff locally too that people will uh, <laughs> will get upset about. But uh, locally, we'll be cheering for Mike Muscala. I'm pretty sure he's still on the Hawks. He is, and I love I love Moose. We get along really well. Uh, he's he's a fan favorite. I always liked him. I actually I, I have this saved in my archives for my personal blog. Uh, right, that was the year before Muscala got drafted, and I wrote that I wanted him in the second round. The Hawks took him, and I was very excited <laughs> because he's still on the team somehow after five years. Uh, since that post, so I'm, uh, I'm I've always liked Muscala. He's a Minnesota guy. He uh, I actually have a friend of a friend that I grew up with Muscala in Minnesota. So uh, I've, I've, I have a long term affinity for for Muscala. So uh, I know you guys will root for him as well, being a local product up there. I've always liked him. Oh too. yeah, 
Oh yeah, we're we're cheering for him up here. But uh, I think I mean that's that's a lot of great stuff on the Hawks and a lot of a lot of really interesting things about Jeff Teague, which I know that our fan base will really appreciate. And we thank you for being on episode nine of jam to dm show brad uh it's great to have you as always everybody that's listening give him a follow on twitter make sure you go to peach tree peach tree hoops.com that's the sb nation hawk site brad is kicking ass uh on that site he's just dominating coverage so give the guy a follow uh we respect your work and and we really appreciate you being on the show tonight oh it's my pleasure guys i'm always happy to talk to you and I hope Jeff works out well up there. I've always liked him, and then I secretly root for the Wolves, as uh, as a lot of my family roots for the Wolves. So I uh, hope it go- hope it goes well up there. All right, man. Enjoy your summer. Okay, our thanks again to Brad Roland uh, for coming on the show today. Always good to get a perspective of uh, some new players. And Jeff Teague is he's an enigma. Uh, so that was really really fun to have him on. Uh, be sure to follow him on Twitter at bt roland. And be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes um, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, We would uh, really appreciate it. And you should maybe, if you like us, give us a rating, tell your friends. Uh, You know, we're a brand new podcast, so we we, uh, need to get as many people's ears as possible. So uh, do us a favor and help us make that happen. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a great week, and we'll probably be back sometime next week. Thanks so much.